0: Welcome back to Subject Across. It is officially 2021.
1: Thank goodness.
0: Come closer to your mic.
1: Oh, please. Stop telling me to get closer. I'm trying to maintain social distancing.
0: Well, we are on opposite sides, opposite corners of a table. But we are back in the studio. I'm Caroline Donato, one of your hosts.
1: Oh, and I'm Pete Kratza, the co-host. And we're both in
0: masks, so... I'm wearing two masks. And that's why you sound a little
1: distant. Well, I mean, I think I'm too loud anyway, so... I think a lot of judges would appreciate it if I wore two masks. All
0: right. Well, for this first episode, what I did actually is put feelers out for types of questions that our listeners want answers to.
1: How'd you do that?
0: Instagram. Oh.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. And uh, a big theme I'm seeing by virtue of the types of questions asked mm-hmm. is people may not know the anatomy of a criminal case. So, for instance, I was asked certain questions, why isn't so-and-so in jail? Well, because he was never charged and convicted. And um, questions like, what's the difference between a grand jury and a jury? And so forth, things like that. So I thought it would be helpful in 2021, a new year, a refreshing year, hopefully, that we just start a little broad. Okay. Okay. And we talk about the anatomy of a criminal case so that as we move forward and we have other topics, people can refer back to this episode and understand what stage of the criminal case we're referencing.
1: Well, I mean, I think that this probably should have been episode number one then, Caroline. I mean, what episode is this? I don't, It
0: could be 18. It could be 19. Oh, OK. Um, can you hear me OK. I just think you could go closer to the mic. God, I mean,
1: this thing is going to be up my nose. (laughs) Uh, Well, I think we would first need to differentiate between state and federal cases. You want to start with the state or federal?
0: I think we could do. I think we could do it in hybrid form. I think we could be efficient with it. Okay. And talk generally. All right. Before any criminal case, would you agree? That it starts with a criminal. I was going to say no before you
1: even got to the, uh, but go ahead.
0: It starts with a criminal investigation. Yes. And oftentimes we are retained before any charges are brought. Yes. And part of our job is to do our own factual investigation and analysis of law. Yes. Yes. I'm cross-examining Pete. <laughs> <laughs> and, and part of our goal is to avoid charges altogether.
1: If we can. If we can. Yeah, there are two different ways when we get retained. Um, One way is if, if someone is under investigation and we think there's going to be an opportunity to avoid charges, we'll take a certain approach. And if it's inevitable that they're going to be charged, we take a different approach. So at times, we are retained specifically to represent someone during an investigation Um, now, unfortunately for our clients, sometimes they don't know they're under investigation. They're just charged. Uh, but if they're approached by officer friendly and officer friendly just wants to talk about allegations that, you know, someone made against them and the client is astute enough at that point, and hopefully after listening to this podcast, which should be podcast number one, uh, (laughs) they are astute enough to know, you know what, officer friendly, let me get your card. Um, and I'll be in touch.
0: And oftentimes, at that point of the investigation, when we reach out to the officer, or uh, if a prosecutor has been assigned, our conversation is: we understand you want to you want to interview our client, um, and sometimes we can proffer, we can offer the information the DA's office or law enforcement would learn, and then we try to. Neg- navigate whether or not if the DA's office or the officer learns that information, whether charges could be avoided. Because if charges can't be avoided, notwithstanding anything our client says, we don't usually, if in fact ever, have our client then give an admission or a statement.
1: Yeah, it's a difficult decision to make and it really is dependent not only on what the client advises us, in other words, whether they did it or not, um, because if they tell us that they did it, then there's not going to be any sense in talking to the police. We can't counsel a client to lie to the police or to to engage in half-truths. Uh, at that point, it's an easy decision. You know, you're not talking to the police. We'll give them an independent reason. Um, we're not going to tell them you did it, but we're going to say, no, we've decided that there will be no statement. Um, on the other hand, if you have a client that, um, you know, advises you that they didn't do anything of what they're accused of – Well, then, a lot of it is dependent upon, uh, in my experience, um, the level of uh, trust you have in the integrity of the investigators, whether that's the police uh, and or the prosecutor, um, and um, the level of trust that you have in their competence. There are certain prosecutors, who I will not name, who, you know, I I know it doesn't matter what the hell might, am I allowed to say hell? Yeah. It's been a while since we did this. It doesn't matter. uh, And I'll advise a client of this. You know, we can give it our best shot. um, But at the end of the day, this prosecutor is myopic. And this prosecutor, if they're told by your ex-wife that you did something, um, they're likely to charge you. But on the other hand, we can put them on the defensive. You know, if we have, um, uh, you know, uh, the facts on our side. And if we want to share information with them and put them on the defensive, even if we have a feeling the charges are inevitable, sometimes it's a good idea to share that information with them. It's a, it's a, is an assessment by the attorney and the client, um, how much you want to show if you think the charges are going to be there, you know, and, or whether you think that, Hey, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm too cynical. Maybe this prosecutor will uh, review this stuff and and decide not to charge them. So it's a it's a case specific, you know, uh, decision. And oftentimes,
0: people don't know when they're under investigation and defense attorneys aren't yet involved. But that is the first step to any criminal case an investigation.
1: There we go. There we go. So That's we, number and one. And we we agreed on everything there. Must be twenty twenty one man.
0: I don't know. I think we're just grateful to be in the same room together. I know I am. Oh, that's sweet. You get your vaccination next week. Yeah. That's great. Soon you'll be down to one mask. Uh,
1: Yeah, right. (laughs) All right. So then we're not going to talk about why I qualify. That's HIPAA stuff. Why I qualify for a vaccine. I mean, it's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah, Especially
0: in light of your 2000
1: calorie paddle burn. We're we're not going (laughs) to talk about it.
0: Can we just can we just add in? the fact that you have a peloton tread and you refuse to use it
1: well i mean i was on it for what like 0.01 miles or something you like walked
0: that for 3 minutes if it's
1: any consolation to you i wore the peloton t-shirt that you bought for me while for you the consumed
0: holidays. tequila uh
1: last night no it was beer and um girl scout cookies because <laughs> i need to keep up my bmi so that i can qualify for my vaccine i you okay. know I, I joked with you that um, you tried to kill me by, <laughs> by getting me a Peloton and having me not qualify for the vaccine.
0: Well, hold on a second. I certainly didn't get you a Peloton. I'm going to start
1: smoking, too. Do you know if you smoke, you qualify for uh, the, the, in that 1A category? It's just backwards. Yeah, it's I'm a never, backwards. I'm never going to qualify. They should just hand them out. Well, I mean, the, the, you know, we'll all get it eventually. But those the of goal. us who choose to to get it
0: and once you get it because you met your goal of getting the vaccine then i'll get on the peloton then you'll get on the peloton caroline
1: not only bought me a peloton t-shirt which is a cool looking t-shirt thank you i I think it would be weird to wear it while i'm on the peloton but uh (laughs) she bought me shorts that i would submit intentionally are tight to incentivize (laughs) me to lose weight
0: well, tell tell the listeners, this was a Christmas present. This was this mm-hmm. year's Christmas present. Yeah. What else was in your card? I much
1: prefer when you got me all the colorful socks, the, the Christmas present. Before, and the ties. The yeah, and then the ties. And the golf balls. Yeah, the golf balls were my favorite. With the cats. Yeah, with the cat logo. But yeah.
0: but how about uh, that folded up piece of
1: paper that was in your Christmas card? Which one was that? <laughs> uh, was it, was it uh, my uh, log on the Peloton?
0: Yeah, so yeah. anybody who's not a Peloton user... Um, and we're not sponsored by Peloton. I'm just By the way, fan. we're
1: going off topic here. Well,
0: Sierra can cut it as All much right. as she needs. Right. But there's, you can see every month how many times somebody exercises if you look at their user profile and it gives you a blue dot. In
1: other words, if you stalk them. Yeah.
0: yeah. And I do stalk you on the mm-hmm. Peloton because I want you to be you happy and healthy. stalk my entire
1: family. You stalk my wife. My son's been using it.
0: I don't stalk Brian as much, but I do get interested in what Jen's doing because I like to share information about different institutions. Well, you like
1: to dictate what we should do on our Peloton. I just
0: want everyone to be happy. Pete. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So investigation okay. is the first stage of a criminal case. There we
1: go. So we're through that. We're through that. <laughs> yeah. And it's Peloton like pulling teeth. Yeah.
0: And the next stage is criminal charges.
1: Okay. So. Charges can be initiated uh, in state court. They're commonly initiated by a criminal complaint. We're talking about if you're charged with a misdemeanor or a felony. And the way that looks is it's a document that lists the charges. It lists the date and time of the alleged offense. Um, lists the grading of the charges and the language of the offenses that you're accused of. Uh, and then it has an affidavit of probable cause attached to it. And the affidavit of probable cause is the
0: description of the evidence to support the charges because ultimately a judge has to sign off on that complaint.
1: I was just uh, regaling some <laughs> of my uh, paddle friends. By the way, just not to, to belabor the subject to the extent we haven't already done this, but the way I get my exercise is paddle tennis. And Caroline doesn't believe that I burned 1,500 calories playing paddle tennis. It's interesting. I, 20 minutes ago, it was
0: 2,000 calories. Well, I rounded up. Um, 170 calories. So
1: I was regaling some of my fellow exercising paddle tennis players about the, the best affidavit of probable cause that I had ever had the pleasure of reading over the course of my career. And it's the Rattlesnake case, which That's I think That's episode probably, number one. Yeah, I've mentioned before. The fact that the trooper went to the trouble of including the name of the rattlesnake uh, that the that the uh, client had found, I just think is art. That's art. Um, and as an English major, I really appreciate well-crafted affidavits of probable cause, and I critique poorly written affidavits of probable cause.
0: But notwithstanding Pete's okay. criticism right. of an affidavit of probable cause, they're usually getting signed off by... A magistrate judge.
1: Yeah, who I'll give them credit, and they, they're they supposed to read them. But the point mm-hmm. is that um, that's the way that the case is initiated in um, state court normally. You can have a, a an indictment, um, but generally they are uh, criminal complaints. They're initiated by criminal complaints.
0: Criminal complaints can initiate a federal case, too.
1: Um, yeah, it's rare, though, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So, you know, once you're at that point, you're either going to get arrested. If it's a felony, they'll, you know, they have an arrest warrant for you. Um, If it's an on-view thing, they might arrest you, like in a DUI, even though it's a misdemeanor, that's an on-view arrest. And then they release you that night. Um, But if you're accused of a misdemeanor, and let's say you're not even aware that you've been um, accused of a misdemeanor, you might just get a complaint in the mail. Through and you're you're summoned to court. You're, you receive a summons and a notice of a hearing. Um, you're also going to get all those solicitation letters from lawyers.
0: Tell us about those. I've probably talked. I know about that we before. have an episode yeah. on solicitation and Pete's feelings about it. Yeah, we strong feelings. Strong, I've rather
1: strong feelings. You know, kind of like you and Peloton. Yeah,
0: Pete. Pete, you know, never shies away from expressing his feelings on any topic that comes to mind. That's a good but, point. On the solicitation point, we have a whole episode on it. it. I think the episode was based off of things that grind our gears, and that was Ooh, yours. I haven't heard that
1: expression in a long time. Okay, no, that's yeah. uh, Family Guy. Line. Yeah, is that right? Family Guy. Yeah. Um. So when the you know when the complaint is filed, um, that's when you know most of the time people retain a lawyer, um, when they know that they've been accused of a of a crime
0: because they're on notice of it, right? And after the complaint is filed is the preliminary arraignment, and that is when bail is set. Sometimes the preliminary arraignment can happen at the same time as a preliminary hearing, which is a probable cause hearing. Preliminary arraignments happen oftentimes separate from a preliminary hearing when somebody is picked up on an arrest warrant for a felony or they are self-surrendering on a felony. And that's when you go before a magistrate judge and you have a bail argument.
1: Well, why don't you tell our listeners what a self-surrender is? We probably touched. it. We've
0: touched before. upon it, and I kind of yeah. want to gloss through that because we have right. done that.
1: Basically, we arrange a time with the police and the judge to to bring you in and have you put on bail, so that you're never actually taken into formal custody.
0: And that, I mean, this is sort of the sort of stuff that's not the the sexy part of a case that's ever put in the news, but it's really important for a criminal defense lawyer because oftentimes, the Commonwealth or the government wants your client to be detained pending trial. And part of our job is to explain to a court why detention is um, unnecessary, that the client is not a risk to society, or there's mitigation to keep the client from being a risk to society, and the client will show up to court.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, a, a lot of times uh, we both will kind of challenge the the judge with the um, the the rule that deals with conditions of of release you know the, in state the,
0: court that's 523
1: look at you mm. i mean i think you're right in um, federal
0: court that's 3042
1: um, i don't know you didn't sound as sure of yourself but you know the totally point is key. that a lot of times 3042? they'll just look at the at the nature of the allegations oh my god this is a you know a, a burglary that's a, that's that's charged and the knee-jerk reaction will be to set bail high well it, Bail isn't designed to punish. It's not you're punitive. You're still presumed. Um, well, that's what I just said. <laughs> <laughs> I love that you like talk so much like a lawyer. But the point is that... You know, the, the
0: Sometimes people are going to hear those words, and I want them to know, in, in the legal world, if you hear a lawyer say something, you're saying not intended to punish. That also means punitive. Okay. Not intended to be punitive, okay. so you know.
1: So the, the issue is that bail is just designed to make sure you're going to appear. I mean, there are there are parameters that are set, you know, set out in rules that talk about uh, things that a judge should consider in terms of setting bail, and you know, the fact that you're accused of a horrific crime isn't necessarily one of them. If they think you're a danger to the community or a danger to a a witness, they can consider that, but just the fact that you're charged it's a felony, it has to be ten thousand dollars bail. That's always rubbed me the wrong way, and I enjoy challenging judges with it, and in state court. If we don't like what a district judge does in terms of setting bail, and around here anyway, they're pretty reasonable. Um, in when I say around here in Chester County, but the point is that if you don't like what a judge is doing, we can always appeal to the, uh, co- the to the common pleas court and have another judge look at it. Yeah. But that's the preliminary arraignment. There's a probable cause hearing. You want to talk about the probable cause hearing?
0: Well, in a second. I just want to say there is a practical side of the bail issue. There's pretrial services, and that is the pretrial supervision of any person who's accused of a crime. And when somebody's accused of a crime, pretrial services, then you know it gets. Well, that's
1: what we call them in Chester County. They're, they're called pre-
0: different. No, they're pretrial in Delaware County, and I think in Montgomery County, no, they're pretrial services, federally. Every county? Well, the, the, the three counties different. I practice in, and okay. then federally, they're pretrial services. Okay. Um, but pretrial services gives a bail recommendation to the court. And the court oftentimes defers to that bail recommendation. So it's a practically good thing for any defense attorney when they get a case and they know there's going to be an issue on bail because maybe the prosecutor's not on the same page as you, that you get the bail recommendation from pretrial services in advance so you know what the judge
1: is looking at. They won't always share that, though.
0: Oh, I've never been... Here? Yeah.
1: Mm. They won't always share that. Um I'm not The, yet the faced interesting thing about the rule, which I'm sure you have memorized about preliminary arraignments, the rule number, what rule number is it? State? Yeah.
0: 523? For arraignments? Oh, for arraignments. That's bail.
1: Yeah. but well, the point is that you're not necessarily entitled to a lawyer at a preliminary arraignment. No. Um, I insinuate myself into preliminary arraignments when I know that they could go sideways for a client. And the rule does have language in it about the fact that a lawyer, if, if present... So I view that to mean that, you know, I'm allowed in there.
0: Any lawyer? You want it to be retained?
1: Um, Well, I mean, you have to be retained. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, Okay, so after a preliminary arraignment is the probable cause hearing, and this is called the preliminary hearing. And that's where the Commonwealth or the government has to establish there is probable cause to hold the case for trial at the trial court level. And that federally can come in the form of an information or an indictment. And that's the distinction between state and federal. That's why I didn't think we had
1: to really separate. In federal uh, uh, practice, they more commonly utilize an indicting grand jury, whereas in state court, that's rare. Right. Um, they've tried to expand the use of grand juries in state court, or they have. But uh, grand juries in, in state court, in my experience, whether they are local or regional, are more investigative grand juries. In other words, they help a prosecutor uh, accumulate evidence in cases, for instance, where there's a lot of witnesses that won't cooperate um, with their investigation. Um, they will help them um, accumulate evidence. But grand juries is a whole other uh, episode, I would think.
0: Yeah, to focus on them would be a whole episode. But I think the question, what's the difference between a grand jury and a jury, if we could distill it down grand to- Grand
1: jury's bigger. <laughs> See what I did there? How many? 23? Grand. Grand means larger.
0: Oh, wow. (laughs) Also, uh, aside from that, is the grand jury can be used uh, statewide to investigate or to charge federally to charge. Um, And a grand jury never convicts. That's not the role of a grand jury. But the role of an actual jury at the trial court level would be to acquit or convict. Right. A
1: grand jury either investigates or accuses Mm -hmm. and or accuses.
0: So the, the question that was posed to us um, was
1: based like, off of geez, we had to listen for 20 minutes to get an answer to our question.
0: Yeah, pretty much. But yeah. you know what you're in for if you're listening <laughs> to this podcast, was based off of what was going on with Breonna Taylor's case. Oh. Yeah. And, and that's where that, that came from. And that could be a whole episode on grand juries, too. But after the charges are confirmed by virtue of an indicting grand jury— or at a preliminary hearing statewide, and the the magistrate court holds the case for trial, then the case gets kicked up to the trial court level.
1: Right. And there you have the next court appearance, uh, which universally is avoided, is called a formal arraignment. A formal arraignment, I, I advise clients, accomplishes three things that can all be accomplished by submitting a piece of paper. Uh, that is that you're aware of what you're accused of, that you have a lawyer and you enter a plea. And for purposes of a formal arraignment, the plea is always not guilty and it won't be used against you later on. It's just a formality. You know, it won't be used against you later on. For instance, if you know that you're going to be pleading guilty and you know you did something wrong, even though it's inconsistent to enter a not guilty plea for purposes of arraignment, some of them we used to have stand mute. M- I think the Chester M-E-T-E. County one still having has a hard that. time enunciating through these two masks. But the point is that the formal arraignment is not all that important of a uh, court appearance. After that, or at that time, is when we submit for formal discovery, which means that they have to give us all the police reports and videos and anything they have that's good or bad for the client. And then that, um, after we get those materials, we prepare for either pretrial, trial, or plea.
0: And then after that, after a conviction, if there's a conviction or a plea, what about an acquittal? After an acquittal, we, well, go, after and, an acquittal, you know, we go home when, and expungement.
1: When there's when there's no COVID, we go to the to the local establishment and celebrate. But the point is that, um, if, you know, I, I thought you were going to talk not necessarily about after a conviction. Well, but pre-trial, talk about things we do pre-trial. Well,
0: okay, but I just the feat of an ad, of the. Uh,
1: You keep trying to direct me. I'm not directable. The anatomy of
0: a criminal case at the end of the trial court level, if there's a conviction, whether it be by trial or plea, is sentencing. Yes. Um, Pretrial motions before trial can come in the form of suppression, whether or not the evidence was obtained illegally by law enforcement. It can come in the form of a, a habeas motion which says that notwithstanding the fact that there's been an indictment or there's been a case held for trial by the district court, there is insufficient evidence to hold this case for trial, even on a probable cause standard.
1: Um, In other words, the district judge got it wrong. mm -hmm. You know, we're we're able to take that, um, the the finding of probable cause by the district judge and argue to a common pleas judge that there isn't probable cause.
0: I'm trying to think of the ones we file the most. Uh, Motion to compel if there's discovery out there and we're not getting it. I don't follow
1: that a lot. I I think you get more just by communicating with the prosecutor and advising, you know, trying to handle that informally. I think judges appreciate that. Suppression motion is what we normally file. I love suppression motions. Do you? Yeah, my two favorite things of being a criminal defense lawyer are arguing suppression motions and cross-examining people.
0: And that's where you get to do it often. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the end of a suppression motion, based off of what the the court says, sometimes that evidence isn't coming in, and the case resolves consistent with whatever evidence is left, if any.
1: I like arguing, too. When Caroline and I try cases together, I just want to get to the argument, and Caroline kind of reins me in It we got to you know, establish a record first before you can argue, Pete. Well, that's
0: because after sentencing, there's the appellate process, which we won't get into, but mm-hmm. you can't have a fruitful att- appellate process
1: without a good record true although you know i don't intend on losing but the point is if you lose and you want to appeal uh there needs to be an adequate record of the trial and i think that's a good
0: overview of the anatomy of a criminal case so if you're ever out there and you're looking at the news and somebody you don't like in the news is not behind bars well ask yourself was that person charged where in the criminal case is what is the status of their criminal case was that person convicted and if they're not in prison, what was the sentence? And that's kind of how you navigate that. Um, and difference between a grand jury and a jury: one is a grand jury is to charge, and one is to a regular jury is to convict
1: or acquit
0: or or acquit. Yes, yes. yes. You're so negative.
1: <laughs> I guess all that ju- exercising is affecting your brain.
0: I wish I could exercise more, but I'm trying to think. I think this would be a good episode to just rein in a couple other uh, questions we got. Um, I know one you would like. Some of the questions were ridiculous, to be honest. Wow. Uh, Way to
1: insult our listeners.
0: Well, they were coming to me personally, so I think people were having a good time. Um, Here's one you would like. Dogs or cats? We know the answer. Oh,
1: God. Cats every day of the week. I
0: know. What did you think about that uh, cat Zoom call?
1: I thought it was hilarious, and I found the uh, filter. I know how to put it on my Zoom, and I will use it in all future um, firm meetings.
0: We don't have firm meetings by Zoom, though. Sometimes
1: we do. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're just not invited. Probably not. Um, well, what about you, dogs or cats?
0: Well, obviously dogs. Right. Wilbur.
1: Yeah. Cats are such – they're easier. Um, I think cats have underrated personalities. Um But I I could, you know, I could spend three episodes talking about my cats. Uh, Here's one for Oh, do you know that when I had, uh, speaking of suppression hearings, Mm -hmm. I had one recently in front of a a judge here, and I had to use my own iPad because they freaking, well, don't get me started with their IT in the courthouse. I did everything that they told me to do, and it still didn't work. Um, But the point is I had to use my my, uh, iPad, and on my iPad, there are probably – and I, I took a video myself that I was going to use at this hearing. Um, on my iPad, there are probably upwards of 200 pictures of my cats. <laughs> so, that's so bizarre. <laughs> well, but we send them to each other in mean, the family because like, they look cute and they like do That's like a concerning amount of
0: pictures There, of There cats. are a lot
1: – hey, man, it's better than some of the other things they find on our clients' phones. But the, the point is that uh, the judge remarked. <laughs> he said – Mr. Kratza, you have quite a few cat pictures. (laughs) I'm like, yes, sir. I was not embarrassed in the least.
0: I'm embarrassed listening to the story.
1: It was great. Oh, I'm glad I wasn't there. I would have ducked.
0: (laughs) Um, Who usually wins in chess, you or your husband? My husband. Did you watch The Queen's Gambit? I did. Ray didn't. Why? Uh... I don't know. He might have watched a couple episodes. He wasn't that into it. I thought
1: it was really good.
0: Okay, well, I mean, when we play chess, just I have to qualify why Ray wins more than me, and I'm forthright in saying he does. We play usually at the end of the week. My brain hurts by the end of the week. So it's kind of like a cool-down exercise. Mm -hmm. But I also am a really sore loser. So Shocking. Yeah. Um, And then the final one is a question from Ray. What is best in life? These are the appropriate questions I have. What is best in life? I don't know, Ray. You? <laughs> Happy Valentine's Day. Oh, uh, that's, the, that's yeah. the answer he wanted. There that's you go. That's sweet. Okay. So I think that wraps up this episode of Subject Across. And now that everybody has a refresher on the anatomy of a criminal case, our next episode is going to be on collateral uh, proceedings to criminal cases. So stay tuned. Way to hold them in suspense. Dun, dun, dun. Say bye.
1: Oh, bye.